0: And welcome back. I do not nerd-gasm.
1: get your ASMR. <laughs> ASMR.
0: Stuff, bitches? And welcome back to Nergasm. I am your host, the King Caleb Coho. The title's on the line, it's gonna be a good one. And this is the last time this is going to be called Nergasm, or maybe it's called Fan Zone very soon. Uh, time is relative and a uh, construct of human perception. Uh, but to hear to help me judge today is uh mini me somehow older caleb lobo
2: boatman how you doing boatman? i'm also taller than you so i don't know why i'm <laughs> um but yeah hi i'm here uh i what well, lovely uh how do you feel are you excited for this
0: match are you ready to go this is gonna be a great one
2: they're playing again
0: I'm playing again last time <laughs> it didn't burn down enough last time we're gonna let them go at it again uh, if you, if you somehow just didn't look at the title of the video, Timbercala, Robert Parker two for the title. It's happening today. It's going to be a great one. Doug Castle's here to help me judge. Doug, how are you doing?
3: Man, the way to get to this title has been nothing but, uh, incredible. Uh, and it's been really interesting to be on the desk to watch this happen. Uh, I'm excited to see it go down between, uh, Robert and Tim again. I think it's going to be a pretty, a uh, pretty good fight tonight.
0: It's gonna be a great fight, and we have no idea who will be left alive after this. Uh they are related uh through marriage. Someone might be dead <laughs> somewhere in Wisconsin after this. But we're gonna uh we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna talk to uh our competitors today, starting with the champion Tim the Hulk Bukala, making his second defense last time you were here. You handily handed me my ass and sent me packing back to Minnesota. Uh, do you think you can uh defend again against Robert Are you nervous? How do you feel?
4: Uh, look, I said it I think in that last match I've said it publicly many times. Um, my goal was to win the first time and defend once. Um, now that does not mean I'm going to not like give it my all this match, but my goal was win, defend. I've done that. I've done my goal. I'm just here to now play if I win. great it goes on uh, next time I will do fan zone if I lose, I lose. It is what it is. Uh, But, no, I'm just, I'm excited. Uh, We'll see if I can make it happen for a third time.
0: We will see all the luck to you, good sir. We'll go over to your opponent today, the returning challenger, someone who has also sent my ass packing back to Minnesota numerous times.
3: Robert,
0: last time I saw you, you were called the Hobbit. Now you call yourself the Spider Parker. i
3: call myself
1: that. Uh, (laughs) No, I am, uh, I am I'm happy to be back in this seat. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page as Timur. Last time we did this, we were also like building towards a fandom match and it was very stressful time in our relationship with each other. Uh, and also we were a room apart. He was sitting here and I was in that room. Uh, it was a very stressful time. And I think that we're both still taking this seriously, but we're both a lot more relaxed than when we did it last time. There's a lot less stress, a lot less pressure in general, um, so I'm definitely excited to see where this goes. Uh, we have some interesting questions, some interesting takes, and uh, either way, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Uh, I'm with him. If if I win, I'm will be. I'll give my all, and I'll be very proud. At the end of the day, if I lose, then that happened, and it's what happened last time too. So I, I'm either way, I'm looking forward to this finally happening again.
0: Absolutely, Robert Parker versus Tim Ricola too. I think we've hyped it up enough. We'll go ahead and get into the rules of the match. Um, As always in the title match, there are five rounds of of prepared debate. There is a 30-second swing that we do between the two. No filibustering. We will call that shit. Uh, We are going to go in order of how questions were drafted. You have a minute for your opening, five minutes of free form, and a minute again for your closing. So we'll go ahead and we'll get right into the first question of debate, which comes from the realm of Pixar. And it is, what is the best Toy Story side character? Best Toy Story side character. uh, I believe Mr. Parker drafted first, or did Mr. Percala draft first on that one? Mr. Prakala drafted first. All right. So, uh, because you drafted first, I believe that means you will be going first. So, one minute for your opening when you start
4: talking. Uh, When you look at all of the characters in Toy Story, there's a lot of side characters to choose from. Uh, There's, you know, the mainstays like the Potato Heads, Rex, um, you could even argue Bullseye, people like that. But when it came down to it, I wanted a character that I think had an impact on the story memorable in both voice acting and the story of itself, like what the character did in the story. Uh, So for that I went with Duke Kaboom. Um, He's in the newest one, Toy Story 4. He's had the least amount of everybody. um, But I still think that he is the best side character because of the impact he has on the story. He is uh somebody who is a troubled character when we first meet him, even though he's comedic, he is troubled because of Rajon. And he has to get his courage back. He helps Woody save Forky. He helps uh, the toys and Gabby Gabby get a child. He is a very inspirational character and overall a great side character. in Time. Film. All right. That
0: is the opening for Tim the Hobbit. We'll go over to Robert the Hobbit Parker. One minute for your opening. When time uh, begins when you start talking.
1: So we both picked the right movie. Uh, I picked a different character though, I went with Forky. Uh, I think Duke Kaboom is a really fun character, very funny character, the Rajong is such a great bit and it's very well voice acted. Uh, but you were talking about impact on the story and while like he was involved in the plot of that movie, I don't think he really had an emotional impact on the characters around him, unlike Forky. I think the characters in Toy Story 4 are changed due to their interactions with forky especially woody woody's whole character arc even from toy story one he's one of the most complex pixar characters and he is changed yet again because of his, his interactions with forky not just that but Forky also hilarious great voice acting how many times have we all said to each other i'm trash like very funny very memorable um obviously he has his own spin-off in Disney plus which means not just, like, Disney execs must have thought he was a great character, too. Uh, So that's why I'm going to say Forky, because of the emotional impact that he's had on the characters around him.
0: Time. All right. Openings have been made. You have five minutes. Remember, no filibustering, and try to keep that 30-second swing. As we go in, time begins. Floor is yours, guys. Uh,
4: The first thing I'll say is the... I I agree with what you said about Forky having like this emotional thing for Woody, but that's kind of all he is. He's literally a MacGuffin in the story. That is, he's just a plot device. When it, when you break it down, he's introduced as something um, for the kid. And then after that, he's literally just a way to get Woody with Bo and set the adventure on. He says funny things and does stupid stuff, which is why he's funny. But his whole point of being in the story isn't for him it's for woody whereas rajon or Rajan, duke kaboom actually has his own story that even though it's small inside because he's a side character, he has his own story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Forky is just kind of a plot device to go into the movie.
1: I mean, he's involved in the plot and you're right, like, he he is an influence on, like, where the characters are at a certain time. But of course he has his own story. He starts off the movie, like, being this thing for Bonnie and then he does become his own character. He hates himself and through his adventures, through that emotional impact that he has with others, others also have that impact on him. By the end of the movie, he's not jumping into trash cans anymore. He's not trying to, like, get run over on the side of the road anymore he's not trying to be trash anymore he's understood like really what all of the toys go through throughout all four movies that just being a toy is something to be proud of it's something to be that like it gives you purpose in life that you are able to have this connection with the child that the child loves you so much that's his character arc he doesn't realize that at the beginning he does at the end so to say that he doesn't have a character arc and he's just a plot device i think that's a little bit simplistic
4: But he, but that's all in the everything you just described. I 100% agree with you, except that's the first 30 minutes. That's my point is he starts as someone who I'm not supposed to be a toy. I'm going in and being trash, and that's the whole. I won't let you, and that whole great moment. But by the time that they get to the the camper, the park thing, and the the antique shop, he's already oh I got to get to Bonnie. He's already at that point. So his arc that you just described isn't from beginning to end of the movie. It's the first 20 minutes of the movie, and then the rest of the movie, he is a plot device. Whereas Duke Kaboom, when we meet him in the story, he comes into the story. When it's natural for him to come into the story, he helps save Forky. He helps Gabby Gabby get a daughter, and he resolves... Or a daughter, Jesus, a kid. He overcomes his own problems that he had and helps save the day.
1: I think Forky... Like, so... Yes, he comes in a different time. It's a little bit more than 20 minutes. I just want that for the right. I don't know the exact time go, but I'm going to say it's more than 20 minutes until they get to the carnival. Um, as far as... Forky is at that point where he loves Bonnie, but he still has a journey to still go through when he's in the convenience store. When he's captured by Gabby Gabby, when he's having those conversations with Gabby Gabby, he is still having an impact on every character that's around him. Gabby Gabby changes as a character because of Forky. Woody changes as a character because of Forky. Bo Peep changes as a character because of Forky. All these characters have... Uh, he is impacted by them in the beginning of his arc. He still has an arc, even though it's a little bit shorter. The other characters are still impacted as, as by him as well. Not just by the decisions that he makes for the plot; it's the emotion that also is changed because of him. I
4: don't think that Gabby Gabby changes because of Forky. Forky sits there and talks with her, but Gabby Gabby's change doesn't come until woody decides okay it's woody who changes her and says i'm gonna give you my voice box i'm gonna do the generous thing of giving you the voice box and then when the kid puts gabby gabby "Nah, i don't want you woody once again goes back to save gabby gabby it's woody who changes gabby, gabby not forky i would argue the only person forky changes in any way is woody but it's not even in a in a the way that you're saying it's in a like Woody realizing that he doesn't need to One have minute. a kid anymore. I just don't. I whereas like I said, Duke Kaboom, literally like his whole thing of being um unthrown away right away on Boxing Day, and then is just this lost toy who finds a purpose with Bo Peep and Woody. That's much more interesting than Forky going back with all the other toys.
1: I think that's a character that's been kind of played out in the Toy Story franchise though. Like a toy that was thrown away, that's kind of vengeful about it, kind of sad, kind of broken, finds the team, gets together, does some cool heroic stuff, and then finds his purpose again. That's something we've seen like six times in the Toy Story series. I, I love Duke Kaboom as a character. Don't get me wrong, I really do. But I don't think that his arc or his journey is unique enough to warrant it being the best Pixar side character. I think there are many other side characters who have a similar arc. We're talking Jesse and um, Prospector and the, the toy Lotso. I think all of those characters have a similar arc, but it's done better because it's given more time to breathe.
0: All right, time. Oh boy, this is a good one. Uh, all right, so we will go to Robert. One minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking.
1: Forky is the most memorable side character in Toy Story, and he's also the best because of the impact he has around him. Uh, we're talking—if we're talking Woody's arc in this movie, the reason that Woody at the end is able to say, able to let go and stay with Bo Peep, is because of Forky's journey, and uh. Yes, Forky uh, is there to like move the plot along, but characters are in movies to move the plot along. I don't think that's really a, an in-depth or fair dig at my character, whereas Duke Kaboom again. I think it's very overused, it's a very cliche by this point in the Toy Story franchise. It's a very cliche moment. He's funny, he's well voice-acted, uh, he's in some like weird action scenes with the character. That's just what the character is there for. I don't think that him being a thrown away lost toy makes him the best Pixar side character because there's better Pixar side characters that have that same arc. Um, whereas Forky uh, is super iconic in the way that he talks, super iconic with the jokes, obviously the, I don't want to let you. And the entire movie has moments like that. It's not just in the first 20 minutes where you see Forky shine.
0: Time. All right. We will go to Tim. One minute for your closing time begins when you start talking.
4: Those side characters Robert mentioned earlier, Jesse, Lotso, those characters that have similar arcs, they're not side characters, they're main characters. But I get what he's saying about it being overused. At the same point, though, Duke Kaboom has so many cool and memorable moments as well. And what I said about Forky is that the first 30 minutes are his arc. I didn't say that he doesn't have memorable moments after. The point is, though, that if in a side character, I want something that is there to entertain me, but also has something to say and do in the story. Forky has something to do in the first 15-20 minutes. And then after that, he is literally a plot device. Whereas Duke Kaboom helps saves helps save. Forky helps save the toys, get the toys back, get Forky back to Bonnie, helps Gabby Gabby find a kid that's scared and go home to someone. Duke Kaboom does all this. Forky is just there as a plot device and as kind of, by the end of the movie, a bit of an annoying side character more than a fun one.
0: Time. Oh boy. Uh, Bring back my my judging team here. Uh, Wow. Uh, That was a good fight. A uh, really good one to start. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'll start with Boatman. Give Boatman's thoughts first on this one. Where do you lean and why?
2: Yeah, uh, I think Robert had a really good point with uh, Duke Kaboom kind of being a little cliche. I think the problem with that is that was Robert's only real hit on Duke Kaboom and Tim kind of dismantled it. I think Tim hit on Forky a lot. I think Robert needed to do a little bit more offense, not as much defense, so I'm giving the point to Tim all
0: uh, right there's one in favor of Tim so far doug where are you leaning and why
3: uh same regards as Caleb I think there was uh I think I think Robert had a good solid punch with oh. you know the you know same beats as other characters but uh I think Tim had a few more punches uh you know forge's real arc happens in the first 30 minutes Robert did try to counter that but you know it wasn't explained fully on how he, you know, more than his arc was explained, I think was a big blow. Um, You know, uh, a few of the closing arguments also helped uh, shape that, you know, a little bit more. Uh, So Tim's going to get my point.
0: All right. With that, Tim wins the first point. I wholeheartedly agree with those two. So the score is one, nothing in favor of Tim as we get to the next question, uh, which Robert drafted the category of YA dystopia. And the question was, the what is the worst Divergent Series faction to join? What is the worst Divergent Series faction to join? Robert, you will be going first on this question. One minute for your opening. Time begins when
2: you start talking.
1: So the Divergent movies, the main character is Trish, a very sheltered, very kind of solitary person who wants to come out of her shell, burst out of her shell, become a butterfly, all these cool things. And she thinks the best way to do that is to join Dauntless. Uh, and, you know, but in, in parts of the movie, like Dauntless looks like, because you're seeing it from her perspective as somebody who's trying to come out of their shell, uh, it looks, you know, kind of appeasing. But if you really study Dauntless, they are fucking crazy. And they are horrible people. Like, they jump onto, they daily do tasks that will kill you and people do die and they just move on like oh that person died, guess they weren't brave enough like that's awful that's horrible Uh, you have people in Dauntless, who, uh, if you like, insult somebody or like fail at something, they'll make you hang on to like a wet bar, and if you fall, then you fall and you die, and you weren't brave enough. Uh, and that's just a horrible mentality to take. They make you homeless if you don't succeed in their brutal initiations, which is just not sympathetic at all. Dauntless is awful. They're terrible people.
0: All right, Dauntless, Tim, one minute for your opening. Time against when you start talking.
4: Yeah, before I say my thing, I just want to say one thing. That the uh, if you don't, you become factionless if you want. That is a plot point specific to Divergent. The years prior to that, that was not a thing. That was a thing to sniff out Divergence in the movie. But anyway, I'm choosing Abnegation. Um, Abnegation is the uh, faction that uh, Triss, that Robert mentioned, is actually born into. It is a faction where a lot of the people are uh, very, very selfless people. Um, or they try to be, I should say. They're the ones that run the government, but not everybody gets to run the government. So the people who aren't special enough to run the government just kind of are there. They feed the homeless, but they don't really do anything. Ergo, Tris leaves Abnegation to actually go to Robert's Choice, Dauntless. Um, So that's interesting there. But the thing is, Abnegation is just a place, if you're born into it, people always want to leave. Tris wanted to leave. Um, Whether it's to Dauntless or wherever, she wanted out. And I think that's for a specific reason I'll get into.
0: Time. All right. Abnegation versus Dauntless. Five minutes, free form. Time begins when you guys start talking
1: so one of the main points in your opening was that people always want to leave people always want to leave every single faction there's a choosing ceremony where people leave every single faction just because in our eyes of the movie are the characters that are the main characters had to choose a different faction doesn't mean that like it's a bad faction because our main character had to move away i think that abnegation is actually a really great faction not only are they selfless but like they reject things like vanity and they reject things like pride and i think like Maybe modern society can learn a thing or two about like not obsessing over vanity and pride and like not caring so much about oneself and starting to like maybe care a little bit about other people. I think those are good values and that's what that uh, faction's based on.
4: I don't disagree with you, but the problem is is that with being selfless and all the stuff you just said, those aren't things that are inherent to a lot of people. Those are things that you learn from your parents and as we saw with four that didn't really work out for him and being an abnegation and again if we, we don't have to talk about the character specifically in the movie but i'm talking more about like if you were looking to join any faction which is the question you could go to candor and uh learn about uh truth and being uh, a part of the um the judgment system, you could go to erudite, and uh, if you have a smart mind and be part of breakthroughs in science, you could go to amity and be one with nature. If you go to abnegation, you are there. And if you don't get into the government, you're just kind of hanging out all the time, not you don't have a purpose. Dauntless, you have a purpose, and if somebody goes into Dauntless you're and mind washed into
1: a murdering soldier, that's what happens at Dauntless, and you're if you're not ready.
4: Through. If you choose to go to it and you're not ready for it, that's on you. But the question is worse to choose. If I'm choosing, I wouldn't choose Dauntless, but that's because I'm fat. I can't do the things that I'm doing. That doesn't
1: make it the worst one to join. I think it does make it the worst one to join because what you're oh, first off uh, in the context of the movie, a lot of the people who join Dauntless don't know about all the initiations and don't know about all these things. So that's why it's the worst one to join. They hide all these things from you and then start beating the shit out of you. That's a terrible thing. It's so if we're talking worse to choose, the ones that hide their brutality, that's awful. Uh, yes, they have a purpose. They're mindwashed into soldiers and they have to defend the wall and they're like, they're, they're mindless. They're a, a paramilitary, basically. As for abnegation, if you choose to join abnegation, you're choosing to be selfless, like you're selfless, excuse me. You're choosing to care about people more. Just because you don't get a job in the government doesn't mean that that's the only job that those people have. It's not like Dauntless, the only job as soldiers, Candor the only job is a lawyer. That's, there, there are other things in these factions. That's just the ones that are advertised because they're the biggest. That's because like what the foundation of the faction is, but that doesn't mean that you don't get to do anything if you join Abnegation. I would rather choose Abnegation saying, I want to be better to my fellow person and I would join Abnegation to learn how to be more selfless, learn how to reject vanity more.
4: But you can also learn those things through other factions. You can learn those types of traits and qualities through candor and through erudite whereas dauntless, they don't value again, them as but, highly though but again with dauntless you're saying it's the worst because it's a paramilitary or something there are people in real life that know again like you know that it's the military of the the factions they but they don't know that, that they don't know that how sorry uh, they don't know how brutal it's going to be when they join I don't disagree that they don't know how brutal it's going to be, but you have they have to know going into it, I'm going in to become a soldier. There's a part of something there that you will have to know going into it. I just don't think that there's anything that is in abnegation that someone couldn't get from something else. If they're choosing to be uh, selfless, you can get that in other, you could even get that in Dauntless from being uh, somebody who has to defend the place.
1: Right, so you, you get that and that like in any faction you can learn any characteristic and any value. That is the same thing for why you're saying you wouldn't wanna choose Abnegation. You can learn anything from anywhere, that's true. But that doesn't mean that the society around you doesn't value that. I wanna be around like-minded people that care about other people and that care of, like, that don't care about uh, the vanity and don't care about those kind of things. In, if you choose a different faction yes you can learn to be selfless but the people around you won't also be selfless and that's important to me that's like one of the values that i would want to choose is i want to be around other people who also care about other people are there people in every other faction who care yeah of course but that doesn't mean that 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 doesn't mean that it is a focus a value a pillar of that faction which it is an abnegation
4: again though like if if we well never mind i'm gonna save it for the end i'm gonna save it
1: Uh, Again, I think Dauntless is just a horrible faction because they hide their brutality, and they are brutal.
0: Alright, we're going to go to closings, starting with Tim. One minute for your
4: closing. Time begins when you start talking. I think a lot of the brutality that Robert is bringing up about Dauntless is something that is inherent in military. That doesn't make it a bad thing, and this is a YA dystopian future where the military you're going to get a little bit more beat up than you would in the U S military or whatever. You're going to get a little bit more. There's, there's more at stake. There's more going on. And the specific brutality stuff that he did bring up is from this movie where things were changing. If we're talking about the factions at face value, take away the plot points of the movie that changed these things. You can get something in every faction. That is the main focus of abnegation abnegation It's just a place where you are there. Yes, you learn to be selfless, but that's not something that's inherent to everybody. I know Robert says he wants to go there to learn it himself, but that's really hard for some people to choose. I don't think anyone would choose to go there over any of the other ones. Time.
0: All right, Robert, one minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking.
1: It's not about what faction is the least likely to be chosen. It's which one is the worst to be chosen. And I don't understand the argument that going to a place where people care about other people inherently, and that is the pillar, the foundation of that faction, is selflessness and the rejection of vanity and empathy. I don't understand how that, as your foundation, would be the worst faction to choose. That is such a positive thing in society that, at face value, what you're talking about at face value that is the pillar of that faction how is that the worst one the worst one is the one that like beats the crap out of you and makes you jump onto moving trains and if you don't you're homeless or if you don't you're like looked down on as not brave and they they are cruel and they're brutal and they hide things and they yes you you know that you're getting into a soldier's job, but that doesn't mean that you're ready for the brutality and the initiations that are hidden from you when you make that choice.
0: Time, who boy, uh, wow, great, another great. Guy. This should be a really good debate. Um, all right, so I'm going first on this one. Um, I'm gonna lean slightly to Robert. I think Tim really fought back in the last half, and like close that gap but going off of both closings uh where both made the very big crux of their argument i think robert was able to defend this just a little bit more uh so i'm going to lean literally 21 20 robert um boatman where are you leaning and why
2: oh yeah i'm also going with robert uh i think robert had a good defense and a good offense i think Tim had a good defense but i didn't really think that uh he hit on abnegation quite hard enough
0: all right, so Robert will get the second point. Doug, where are you? Where would you have voted, and why?
3: I actually would have been leaning towards Tim on this one. It, you were both right. It's a tight race, but I think uh, Tim's punch about basically everything that you get in abnegation, you can get in every other faction, or learn how to do in every other faction, was a fair enough point. Um, and you know, the whole Robert hitting him with not knowing about the brutality It's basically the military that Tim hit back on, so I think the two cruxes that uh, Robert hit on for Tim kind of Tim Kip countered both pretty well. Uh, So, but like I said,
0: all right. So with that, we move to the third question, uh, which Tim drafted in Disney live action, specifically the world of Muppets, a place that I would call hell. Uh, Your question for the world of the Muppets: uh, What is the best cameo performance in a Muppets? Film. Best cameo performance in a Muppets film. All right, Tim, you will be going first. One minute for your opening. Time begins when you start talking.
4: There's a lot of great cameo performances in Muppet movies. Uh, there's a lot of them uh, from Treasure Island, Christmas Carol, even to the new ones. Uh, so I, I went with Jack Black in the 2011 Muppet movie movie. Um, we first meet Mr. Black when he is there, um, at, uh, counseling, uh, with Animal, uh, no drumming. Um, he also then becomes the host of their, te- the host of their telephone. They nap Jack Black, make him the host of the Muppet telephone And every moment that Jack Black is there hits. It is so funny, um, from his stuff with Gonzo almost getting hit in the head with a bowling ball to the barbershop quartet, which in my opinion is one of the funniest moments in Muppet history, doing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit as a uh, as a barbershop quartet with Jack Black there. I think it's just absolutely um, amazing from start to finish of his cameo, how funny he is in such a short amount of time.
0: time. All right. We'll go to Robert one minute for your opening time again, so when you start talking. No.
1: There are a lot of great cameos. Uh, there's a lot of great extended cameos that are in a, like 50 scenes of the movie. Uh, I went with one who I think is a little bit more pure of a cameo. I don't want to argue semantics too much, but uh, I went with Jim Parsons in 2011's Muppets as well. Uh, he it plays the human version of Walter and the Manor Muppet scene, which may be like top. 20 movie scenes of the 2010s. Like I, I think that song is incredible. That scene is incredible, uh, especially just because of all of the things that are happening emotionally with the characters. There's just so much conflict going on inside both Jason Siegel's character and Walter, and you really get. Like there's only so much emotion you can express through like a felt face and I think when Jim Parsons comes on screen and just that those the few small little uh, shots he has, I think he really exemplifies what you imagine that Walter character to be and also what that mul- or that what that mul- Walter character is going through emotionally when he's singing this song.
0: All right uh, Giving up a little bit of time there. All right we'll bring in Tim Freeform begins five minutes. When you guys start talking, how about it? Uh,
4: you say you don't want to argue semantics. I'm not going to. Li- I just had to say it once. You you literally brought it up as your opening, so I think it's fair game. Uh, if you go to the cast list, Jim pa- it's Jack Black, Jim Parsons, right next to each other on the cast list. So you brought it up. I wasn't going to, but you did. That's there. That being said, um, we'll Jim Parsons, I, I think that cameo is only funny because of the time that it came that cameo happened during the peak of the big bang theory and people went to see the muppets saw jim parsons i agree he's funny he looks like walter it's a funny laugh but i think that cameo hits so hard because it's a funny song and because of jim parsons i think in 10 years that's not going to be funny to my kids who are like, who the hell is that? They're they're not going to care. The funnier uh, thing in that song is actually Jason Segel seeing a Muppet version of himself, uh, not the other way around.
1: I mean, I I definitely don't think that that won't be funny. Like, we still have, even people now in like other Muppet movies, there are people who were like super famous at their times and their cameos are still funny. Look at the cameos from the original Muppet movie. Look at uh, like a freaking Machete who's in uh, Muppet 2014. Like people saw him and were like, oh, I think I recognize him from somewhere, but that's a really funny part. They don't look at him and think, oh man, remember when he was in this, 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 and this? People don't remember things for what they were in at the time. I don't think the timing of when the movie came out really is a a dig at how great of a cameo it is. As for Jack Black, I think that he is funny. He's in good scenes but ultimately i think there comes a point where he starts to take away from the telethon especially because there are so many other great cameos during that telethon period i think every time it cuts back to jack black you're like oh they're still doing this bit they're still doing the jack black is duct taped to a chair that's still a thing and i think it takes you out of those moments just a little bit too much to be considered one of the best cameos
4: I disagree because the Muppets
1: even realize they they realize
4: the telethon is failing. There's no one there except for Hobo Joe. It's literally just
1: which also would have Muppets been a great cameo, cameo <laughs> choice.
4: <laughs> Sorry, I just said uh, that. he's 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 not playing a he's playing a character, so it wouldn't count. But um the same, but again, like Fozzie realizes everything's failing and he says to Jack Black, take it. It's not that Jack Black is taking away from everything else. It he's it, he uh, he eventually becomes part of it again going back to your argument about the the timing and everything, I love the Muppets to death. And the original Muppets is no longer in fandom, but I will bring it up anyway. There are cameos in that movie that I love that movie. I don't know who the fuck the people are. Not a clue. I have no idea who they are. Uh, So to say that, that I might recognize that person, to me, it's just another scene. Whereas these newer ones, we have the benefit of knowing who these people are. I think that's why Jim Parsons is... Uh, funny in that scene is because we know who he is. Again, Jack Black does so much in such a small amount of time, whereas Jim Parsons just kind of shows up and isn't even the best part of that scene. Whereas Jack Black is the best part of his scenes.
1: I, I he is the best part of that scene because uh, I think like we can all guess what a Muppet Jason Siegel looks like. It looks like that. That's not like that's not fun. That's not intrigue. Like it, it, it's interesting, but it's not that that is not the point of that scene to see a Muppet Jason Segel. Like You say it is, I say it isn't, whatever. I, I think the best part of that scene definitely is Jim Parsons. You see Jim Parsons playing piano next to a, a whatever, Walter. And going back to the other your main point against me again, like it's the timing it came out. Um, even when you watch those old movies from the Muppets, you may not know exactly who that person is, but you know that it's meant to be a cameo role. You know it's meant to be a funny moment and it's funny because of the way it's played, not necessarily because you know exactly who that person is and what TV show they were in in the 70s. They, it's still an entertaining moment because of the character that's being played which is why in 10 years people are still gonna laugh at that scene because they're like oh my god look it's walter and he's also displaying every single emotion that muppet walter is singing
4: but cameos are meant to be something where you a cameo by nature is where you recognize and know the person that is the joy of a cameo you see a cameo and you're like oh i know that's jim parsons or i know that's jack black Years to come, we will know that this is Jack Black. And again, you want to talk about other scenes that aren't, or I'm sorry, other moments in that uh manner of Muppet scene. Jason Siegel doing this in the rain, singing all powerfully, slamming the That's piano. Those scene. are all those are all funnier moments than the moment with Jim Parsons in the scene. And again, like I said, you, you by nature, cameos are I know who this person is. That is what they are built for. And If uh, Jim Parsons, you don't know who he is in years to come, it's not going to hold up in the end, whereas Jack
1: Black is going to hold up. Jack Black is going to hold up because they say his name. In 50 years, I don't know that either.
0: All right, we will go to closings. Robert, one minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking.
1: The reason that it's going to hold up is not because people – or excuse me. uh, Can I restart that? I'm sorry. Um Jack Black is not going to hold up in the same way that Jim Parsons isn't going to hold up. I think I don't think you can say that Jack Black is going to hold up more because they say his name in the movie. He's in more scenes, so he has a few more opportunities to shine as a comedic actor. But it, people are not going to say in 30 years, hey, that's Jack Black. He's that really funny guy from School of Rock or Jumanji or whatever it is. People are going to say, oh, wow, that's really funny that it was probably some random celebrity at the time, but they say his name and he's got some cool moments. I think he takes away from the mobile telethon too much. He takes away from the other cameos in that scene too much. People like Whoopi Goldberg and Selena Gomez and Neil Patrick Harris, He takes away from their moments to shine as cameos because he's trying to overpower the screen while he's on the telethon telethon stage. Uh, Jim Parsons is a smaller moment. Yes, that whole scene is incredible, but his point adds to the scene. Cameos aren't supposed to take you out of scenes. If Jim Parsons was like the most standout part of that scene, he would take you out of it. He actually integrates very, very well into that entire scene and the entire song and the emotion of the song.
0: Time. All right. We'll go over to Tim. One minute for your closing time against when you start talking.
4: You know, Robert's spooked when he starts talking real fast. Um, again, he does take you out of the scene now. Jim Parsons does. That's ridiculous that he doesn't. It, the, the point of the moment is to take you out of the scene and go, holy shit, that's the guy from Big Bang Theory who looks like Walter. Again, the point of a cameo is to make people uh, sit there and go, oh my god, I know who this is. That happens now for jim parsons that's not going to happen in years to come he's not that famous of a person jack black very famous very very funny scenes we will remember him in 30 years uh by god and all of his moments are very funny like i said the barbershop quartet being one when animal comes up uh they nap him uh, no drumming all of that very hilarious Jim Parsons has not the best part, even in the scene that Robert is doing. So I just, I just can't see how that is the best cameo. When the point of the cameo is to have a fun moment with a celebrity, and Jack Black does that way better throughout the Muppet movie, uh, throughout the Muppets than Jim Parsons.
0: All right, we are gonna bring back our good old judges, and we will start with Doug. You went last on the last one. Who are you leaning towards, and why?
3: this is uh yeah this is a good fight um but when i come down to it um uh, yeah i think i think slight slightly i'm going to lean towards robert on this one um i think overall robert had a better uh better fight um it's it's tough but yeah i think i think robert uh countered a lot of the arguments that tim said at first uh and tim you were right there with your closing argument but it was uh it was just a little too late
0: all right um I will go myself next because Bowman. You haven't gotten the opportunity to go last. So uh, I'm going to make you be the deciding decision because I think Tim kind of w- ran away with this one for me. Um, I think Tim hammered home why his cameo was better, but also tore down why Jim Parsons' cameo isn't going to work and doesn't work as well even now. Um, mm-hmm. And was able to defend against Jack Black. I didn't hear enough barbs against Jack Black, and Tim had good counters for every barb that Robert threw against Jack Black. So I got to go with Tim. Uh, but really in a I was
2: leaning towards Robert, and then the closings came, and I think Robert kind of shot himself in the foot during the closing, kind of bringing Jack Black up in order to make a comparison, but complimented Jack Black a little too much. And I think Tim uh, really kind of stuck the landing and brought it home. So I'm giving the point to Tim. All right, so. Uh, After round three, Tim has a two-to-one lead
0: as we get to the fourth question, which is in Robert's drafted category of Middle Earth. Uh, This is going to be a doozy. So, uh, Robert, you'll be going first uh, on this one. Mm -hmm. One minute, time begins when
1: you start talking. What's the question?
0: You are right. That is my bad. Most underutilized Hobbit character. Who is the most underutilized Hobbit trilogy character? Uh, So... All right, Robert, you will go ahead uh, one minute when you start
2: talking.
1: When you think underutilized, there's two things that you think of. You think there's uh, more, there's potential to do more at the character than was done, and there's places in the story where it makes sense to fulfill that potential. Both of those match up for my character, which is Beorn. Uh If you don't know, he's the skin changer that they made at the beginning of Desolation of Smog, who can turn into a black bear. He shows up very, very, very briefly riding an eagle in Battle of the Five Armies. And this is a character that when you meet him, uh, he talks to the dwarves. Not only is the set of his like house just incredible, one of the most detailed Middle Earth sets ever, and you want to spend more time there, but also more time just with the character. You can see the potential of uh, bringing this Character in to show that I'm going to go to themes a little bit. You can show the themes of conflict besides just dwarf versus dragon and dwarf versus orc and dwarf versus elf. Like you can see that there's more conflict, there's more happening in the world around these characters besides what's just happening in the plot of the movie. And I think that's the potential that was underutilized for Bayron.
0: All right, time. Uh, We'll go over to Tim. One minute for your opening. Time begins when you start talking.
4: I couldn't agree more with Robert on the points of what underutilized means. Uh, but Bayorn's perfectly utilized to what where he needs to be in the story. The person who's not utilized to where they could be is uh, Feely. Uh, Feely, for those of you who don't know, because he's barely he doesn't do anything. He's the brother of Keely and uh, the nephew of Thorin. He's in the line of Thorin. He, uh, but he doesn't do anything. Arguably, the story of The Hobbit, whether you, again, talk semantics or not, isn't really about Bilbo. It is, it is, but it is also very much Thorin's story and Thorin's line uh, going from uh, his father and his grandfather all the way through uh, to uh, Thorin, Feely, and Keely. And Keely gets a ton to do. He gets so much to do. He even has a great emotional moment with uh, Thorin towards the end of Battle of the Five Armies, and Feely's off doing something. That's not cool for a character that's supposed to be this kingly, one of the best warriors. He is right. underutilized.
2: All
0: right. Five-minute freeform. Time begins when you guys start talking. Have at it.
4: Bayorn, literally, his purpose in the story is to be there as an exposition, kind of show what skin changers are, and maybe come in in a fight at the end. Whereas, That's what he was really- used as. That's what I'm saying. That is what, that's that's my point. so. He that's what he under- was used as. That
1: doesn't mean that that's what he should have been used
4: as, sorry. But I'm saying that, okay. So going to Feely then, literally what he should have been used as Is the exact counterpart to Keely, a nephew of Thorin in the line of Durin. He should have been one of those people, but instead he sits in the back. Say what you will about the Keely and Tario stuff. I don't like it myself, but at least Keely is doing stuff. You see him fight a lot. You see him have um, emotional moments with Thorin. Feely doesn't have any of that. Bayorn is used, I think, exactly the way he should have been used. He's not underutilized at all. There's nowhere else for that character to go unless you stay. Let's put him in a battle.
1: I think Philly was actually also. I think Philly was used perfectly. He's the perfect foil for Keeley. Keely chooses emotion and heart and relationships over duty, and Philly chooses duty. First off, you're acting like he's this might, like mighty kingly character, and we didn't see enough of that. He wasn't raised as a king. He was born after Smaug d- took, uh, already took Erebor. He was not raised to be a king. He was, uh, you read the Nephew Thorne, he was raised uh, to be like. to ex- uh, to showcase what dwarves are supposed to be, and I think he does that perfectly. He chooses honor, he chooses loyalty, he chooses kinship. When Kili is injured in Lake Town, he stays behind, because Thorin says, you belong with the company. He goes, I belong with my brother. That is the emotional arc of Kili, or excuse me, of Fili, is that he chooses family and honor uh, over what his destiny to be king is, is that he chooses, and that is the utilization of Fili, and it's done perfectly.
4: I, I, okay, so that scene that you brought up, I'm glad you brought it up of him saying, "I choose to stay with my brother." He's not the only one that chose to stay with Keely. Oin also stayed uh, by accident. <laughs> yep, by accident, Beaufort stays as well by accident, but Oin chooses to stay with Feely, or yeah, with Keely as well. Feely does do that, but that is the only moment in the entire trilogy. All those things that you said of him having honor and all this, it's never shown because it's literally a meme in the Middle Earth fandom community that. All Feely does is go Keely every time Keely gets hurt. That's all he does, and he, 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 he's he is the host. That's that's all he
1: does. That's all he does. Whereas Bane is. What else does he do then? He is the first one when uh, you're talking about moments that showcase who he is. When he and Keely go uh, to search Azog's tower, he's the one who makes the decision. He's the leader in that situation. He goes up with Thorin onto Ravenhill. Uh, if you're talking those two points that you brought up about. Um, uh, uh, the two people who stayed behind, Beaufort was really hammered, so he stayed behind. Oin stayed weird. behind because he's the healer, and he knows that Keely is injured. My my uh, the quote is like my my duty is with the injured or something like that. It's not yeah. like he was like, oh, I'm gonna choose because I'm a dwarf and I love my friends. I'm gonna stay behind. It's I'm gonna go tend to this dude who's dying. And that's not like it was a willful choice. It was kind of his. It was it's his job to kind of do that it's his job to do that. But he also
4: the whole point of this journey is to go get the Arkenstone and the fact that he, he could have just said, eh, Feely's staying behind. I'm going to go get my fucking treasure. I'm going to go find that Arkenstone and help get my boy Thor and King. But again, Feely, you, you, you brought up how he goes and leads that thing. But again, he goes there and he gets captured right away and murdered. And again, I don't think that scene is powerful in the slightest. He gets murdered by Azog and we're supposed to have this emotional reaction, but we don't know Feely in the story. Whereas when Keely dies, we feel that when Thorne dies, we feel that because we know those characters. We don't know Feely again, going back to Bayorn, his garden is cool. Bilbo takes an acorn from it. One minute. Whoa. Uh, He shows up and turns into a bear. Fantastic. Uh, Literally. He doesn't, have there's no other moments in the story that i could see him coming in whereas there's
1: moments in the story where i see feely coming in so i disagree with that completely you think bayon couldn't have been in Merkwood? you think Bayon couldn't have been in lake town i would have loved to see how the men of lake town react to bayon there is potential for that character there's underutilization of the character that character could have been in other scenes and could have been incredibly impactful to the story in those other scenes i'm not saying he has to go like i don't want to see a bear versus a dragon fight but i want to see the potential of this character in the other points in desolation of that he could have been in. Can you imagine Alfred and the master of Lake Town talking about the skin changer being like super racist about it? Like, those are the kind of more complex themes that I would have wanted to see how those other characters and how these other situations interact with Bayon. Instead, he stays at his little house and he shows up at the end. That's potential that is underutilized. Feely is the perfect foil for Keely and he's the perfect explanation, the perfect showcase of what a dwarf is meant to be.
0: Time. Alright, so we will be going to Tim. One minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking.
4: Robert keeps talking about how Feely's the perfect foil to Keely, but we never see it. It's not there. It doesn't exist in the movie. So you're saying that it's there, but it's not. I want it to be there. That's my whole point, is he's underutilized. He should be doing those things, but he's not. He should be having these emotional moments with Thorin, but he's not. Um, Robert, talking about Bayorn going to Lake Town, it was hard enough for them to get 13 dwarves in there and kept quiet. That didn't go very well. Why the fuck would Bayorn be there stomping around? That doesn't make any sense in the terms of the story. I think underutilized means... There's potential for them to be somewhere else in the story and it wasn't used, it was underutilized. Feely was underutilized in the sense that he is in the line of Durin. He is in this uh, kingly line, whether he was raised to be that way or not. Gandalf even says in Battle of the Five Armies, "Thorin's bringing his finest warriors to cut the head off the snake. And he does that, Feely goes there, but he gets taken out right away. There's nothing that ever shows he's a worthy character Whereas Bayorn is used time exactly the way he should be. All right.
0: We'll go to Robert one minute for your closing time against when you start talking.
1: So you talked about the Baron and Lake Town stuff. That's just how the movie was made. It could have been made a different way where it was easier for them to get in. I don't I don't count that as a point. In the context of the movie, it could have been changed to include him in the story, and I think that would have been good. Uh, as for Feely, you do see those moments. You talk about uh, around the dinner table when he's super anxious to fight the dragon. He and Killy have some great moments in Unexpected Journey at uh, Rivendell. You talk about Feely uh, when he wants to, again, stay with his brother. When he, oh, excuse me, he is that foil, even though there aren't like 50 scenes of him having a heartfelt conversation, you see him and Keely how they react around the ponies, how he interacts with Bilbo is a really sweet moment. You talk about uh, when they're telling the story of Azog, right before the story of Azog, when him and Keely are making jokes, you see that brotherly bond. And especially, the, the, he's perfectly util- utilized in his death, because when he dies, you see how much it affects Keely. Keely's heart sinks, you can see it go down his throat because of those brotherly bonds, because of that, that relationship. Thorin and Keeley both uh, go fight so hard because right. of Keeley's death.
0: All right. Go ahead. Bring my judges back. Uh, this was a very good fight. I actually understood this one. It's why we wrote a fucking Hobbit question because I know what's happening here. Uh, but, uh, Beltman, you were the deciding factor last time. I'll have you go first. Who so are you leaning towards and why?
2: Yeah, I did not understand what was going on. Um, so yeah, but that might be helpful because then I get to go in blind. Uh and uh based on uh what I heard, I think uh Tim uh had the better argument uh against or for uh why feely was underutilized. So I'm uh going to uh,
0: all right, we'll go to Doug, who are you leaning towards and why?
3: Uh, I'm leaning towards Tim because Tim used the AKA Caleb special, uh, what we like to call, uh, Oh, okay. Explain yourself, uh, in the middle of the battle. Uh, and it, I think it kind of flustered Robert a little bit, trying to come up with some of the counterpoints. Um, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the points of what underutilized, uh, I think Tim explained perfectly why it was underutilized, uh, part of the question.
0: Uh, absolutely uh would have gone tim as well so tim gets that point it's a three to one lead for tim going into the last prep round question uh which was drafted by mr percol in the category of the mcu your question again is what is the best moment from the final battle of avengers endgame the best moment from the final battle of avengers endgame uh tim you drafted the category so you will be going first one minute for your opening time begins when you start talking
2: I'm going
4: to give a warning. This could get graphic. Um, both of these choices are very good scenes. Uh, but the best one of this scene is portals. Uh, I don't even have to really explain it. You would know what I'm talking about, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Portals uh, in an Endgame, the final battle. Uh, we already have the little back and forth with Thanos and the, the, the big three. And then you get the amazing, on your left, portals open. Heroes coming in, Spider-Man swings in, Falcon flies through, Black Panther walks out, Howard the Duck is fucking there, Ant-Man jumps out of the fucking building, Uh, the Alan Silvestri score kicks in, Cap grabs millionaire. assemble. Perfection. It is every comic book movie fan's dream, is that moment, literally everyone is there, the tensions are high, we finally get assembled, and the charge at Thanos's army, best movie moment.
0: time. All right. I got sent back to May of 2019 with that description. We will go over to Robert Parker. Uh, one minute for your opening. Time begins when you start talking.
1: I went with a scene that is unexpected. A scene that is a little bit of surprise, a scene that gives you just as much adrenaline and just as many fist-pumping moments as Portals. One that takes you back to that exact moment when you're sitting in the theater watching it just as much as the other scene, if not more. And it's during the battle between Thanos and the Big Three. The Big Three are down, they're broken, they're down on their luck, they're about to lose, they've gotten the crap beaten out of them. And then there's a little pan up, and there's Mjolnir sitting on the ground, and we see it rise and then we, it looks, and it's Cap holding Mjolnir. Or, excuse me, it gets, it gets thrown at Thanos, and then it comes back, and Cap's holding it. That was the first time in that movie that the theater erupted. Like, people, you know, clapped a little bit, or laughed a lot, but the theater erupts with this moment. Cap finally holding Mjolnir, Cap hitting him with him, calling down the thunder on him. That little sequence of Cap finally wielding Mjolnir is incredible, and it also has very interesting emotional weight on the story, which I'll get into in the main argument, but it actually says a lot for Cap as a Character instead of just a cool visual sure. scene.
2: All
0: right, we will get right into the main rounds of this one. Five minutes,
4: have at it. Can we just say I both these a, are cool? Yeah, both these are cool. I take a <laughs> lot of issue though with you saying though that mine is a cool visual scene. I wept, uh, and I'm not afraid to say it. When Spider-Man swings through my dearly departed Spidey, swings there. I'm not. I I cried. I literally did. And and again, that doesn't make it the best. But I think it is the best because it's more. <coughs> excuse me. Than just a big visual thing. It is big and visual. But we get amazing, amazing characters coming back. We have that resolution from Infinity War sure. finally coming head to head. And yeah. then we do also get the main crux of your scene, which is Cap grabbing the hammer finally saying avengers assemble i like your scene as well your scene's very fun it is a a crowd cheering moment but i think it gets overshadowed by many other moments in the rest of the battle and it just so happens it even is played off with a joke of no no you get the little one later where i think that but it gets overshadowed the coolness of your scene gets overshadowed by mine and other scenes to come
1: so my biggest pr- – I don't think it gets overshadowed because i th- it's clearly m- memorable. You remember when you first saw it. You remember the crowd eruption? I-, I think to say that's overshadowed is kind of an exaggeration. I think every scene kind of just piles up on top of each other. I don't think one overshadows the other. Uh, my problem with portals is it's super freaking predictable. Like, I-, I love the scene, and I love watching it, and the scores, whatever. It- it's, a- it's a good moment. Um, but, like, as soon as the snap happens from Hulk – you know, okay, so in about 30 minutes, there's going to be a really awesome scene where everybody comes back. And that takes away from it just a little bit. You know, everybody is back from the time Laura Barton gets on that phone, which she kept paying for, for some reason, you know, (laughs) it's weird, but you know, everybody's going to come back. It's, it's still done well it's still fun scene but i just think that that takes away from it just enough whereas cap wielding mjolnir is out of the it's very unexpected there's a little bit of foreshadowing in age of ultron but it's a payoff from a much earlier in the series instead of a payoff from like a year ago and i think that is part of what makes cap wielding mjolnir a better scene
4: i don't disagree that your scene is unpredictable I t- do take issue with you saying that mine is predictable, though, because the thing is, yes, we know that they're back. Ant-Man's looking at the birds, but the, the genius of the movie is that the moment that happens, they get attacked. We completely forget as the audience. I completely forgot because you're freaking out about Rocket and Rhodey um, uh, drowning under there, um, under the uh, the the rubble of everything, Ant-Man's trying to rescue him, you have the three fighting Thanos, you're thinking you're in the final battle, and then all of a sudden you hear that on your left. I say, I I think to say that it's, I think, yes, predictability-wise, you know everyone's going to come back, yeah. But I could never sit there and go, oh, in 30 minutes, we're going to get a huge battle where 20,000 portals open and Howard the Duck jumps through and uh, everybody – and I get the Avengers uh, assembled. Like I think that's unfair. I,
1: okay, so I definitely – I'll give you the Howard the Duck bit. That one I'll give you – but like I, I definitely, as soon as the snap happened, was – I definitely thought there's going to be a big battle – there might be an Avenger. I didn't. I figured there might be an Avengers Assemble. I knew everybody was going to come back in some grand fashion, and that's what happened. And it's cool. And it's a comic book reader's wet dream. And it's it's done cool. And the the fight that happens after is not part of the scene, but we'll just mention real quick. That's great ending battle. Um, I I just think that it's a little bit too predictable it's just a little bit too by the books because you know all these characters come back even by the end of infinity war you said it was this grand payoff at the end of infinity war you knew the next five years of movies that were going to come out you knew all these characters were going to be back in the next one it it, it wasn't you're trying to sound
4: like Cody Newberry there who's saying that infinity war doesn't have a good
3: ending anymore I'm not
1: saying that the that I'm not talking about the infinity war I'm not talking I'm not saying that the infinity war ending isn't effective I'm saying that you knew the payoff was coming With Mjolnir, you didn't know the payoff was coming. And also, it says a lot about Cap as a character. I'm just going to go into this really, really quickly. Uh, The fact that he wasn't able to lift Mjolnir in Ultron, but he was able to lift it in Infinity War means that there was something that was making him unworthy, and I posit that that was that he was holding on to the fact that he knew uh, Bucky killed Tony's parents, and when when he was finally able to let that inner pain go, he became worthy, and he became worthy and proved it in that scene where he lifted Mjolnir. I
4: don't disagree with you, but that's a lot of speculation. I think... In the end, the scene, both scenes are great. We've agreed on that. But I think in the end, when you're looking at crowd pleasing moments, the grabbing of the hammer is cool for us. It's awesome. But my dad sat there and went, So, how come he was able to lift the hammer? It was cool, but how come that was able to happen? I had to explain it to him. Portals happens, and you're just in awe. All the characters coming back. You know what's happening right away. There's nothing Time. confusing about it.
0: All right. This is been an epic fight on the scale of uh, an end game Uh, but we'll start with closing starting with Robert one minute time begins when you start talking
1: I think the casual moviegoer isn't gonna first off like have an orgasm where they compare scenes in the first place. I don't think that bring that kind of opinion into it is that impactful. Also, your dad watches a ton of superhero movies, so like he knew what it. He didn't know necessarily why Cap was worthy, but it he knew that it meant something that he was now worthy. He knew that that represented character growth, even though they didn't say it out loud. Of some kind of it, he knew that there was a change in that character that was shown and showcased because of the hammer lift and because he was able to summon the thunder down on Thanos. The portal scene is good. We both compliment each other enough. Uh, the portal scene is good. Uh, I just think that it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit too predictable. It's a little bit too by the books. Uh, the, it, it, it's an entertaining scene. It's another crowd erupting scene uh, that happens a lot in Endgame. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about scenes that are fit at their best at the point they are in the film, I'll take the cap scene over the portal scene time all right we will go over to mr Bacala for
0: his closing one minute time begins when you start talking
4: the reason i will never take the hammer scene over the portal scene like you is because again the hammer scene is used later you get the little one he slaps thanos around again with it more he has it at the end and he even has it in my scene assemble it's used multiple times i agree Cap getting the hammer, badass, but the actual scene surrounding it, it's just him fighting Thanos with it, and it's exciting when it happens, but then it turns into another fight. Portals is something we had never seen before, and will never see again, did never see in the rest of the scene. It's something that happened on your left, the entire audience, bated breath, more characters coming in and in, finally with the assemble, It's just a scene that will stick in memory forever. Whereas when you think of the hammer, it could be from multiple moments throughout that final fight. I think overall, whether it's predictable or not, Portals is just the better scene. Time. What a
0: fight. Okay. Uh, That was probably the closest one for me this entire time. I'll say that right now. Um, I went first last time, so I will go first this time. And I will say I am leaning 51:49 in favor of Tim. I think Tim barely ekes this one out for me, especially with the very last thing said in the closing. Um, both took adequate shots at each other, like really hard-hitting shots, and both had really strong defenses for the- each other. I just had to find the one chink in each other's argument, and I think that Tim found that tiny little extra that got that over for me. So uh, we'll go to Doug. Where are you leaning and why? Uh, same. Uh, I I
3: think uh, – it- this was super close, and it was, you know, it was the the little things in this battle that kind of won it over for Tim. Um, so uh, I w- I'm giving my points to Tim.
0: And Bultman, uh it didn't necessarily matter where you leaned it and why.
2: Uh, I'm also leaning towards Tim, but it was very close. I think they both made some really good points. Um, but I think the you-get-the-little-one thing was what kind of brought it over the edge for me, Tim. Absolutely, but with that, your winner, and
0: still Nerdgasm champion, Tim the Hulk Bracala, by way of knockout. Uh, great, great match. Uh, the result that will be read at the end of this does not necessarily at all uh, show how close this was, especially for me as a judge. Um, so we will go ahead, we will start post-match interviews, starting with our, uh, our champion today. Uh, tim bracala was able to pull out the defense uh how do you feel being able to defend a second time i know you exceeded your goal uh does that uh does that give you extra confidence uh what does that do for you
4: uh, extra confidence, no, because uh, as we said at the top, this is the last Nerdgasm match. Fan zone is officially now officially a thing, and I'm not going to be able to argue uh, uh, James L. Brooks' comedies against Caleb Boatman as well as Avengers Endgame. So confidence, no, but I am excited. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped. It was a great match. Every fight. I was, I, like, usually there are questions where I'm like, oh, I really had that one. There was not a single one in this entire one that I was sure where it was going to go. I was always surprised. Um, and I think this far and away exceeds our match that we played last year around this time, uh, Mayhem last year. So I think just, like, we wanted to murder each other this time, and I th- or last time, and I think this yeah. time. There was a good back and forth. I have all the yeah. respect for Robert, obviously, and um, it was it was fun to, to do this again um, with uh, really good questions too. So thanks, guys.
2: Absolutely,
0: congratulations on the defense. Yes, Fan Zone is coming. Are do you feel? I, I know you just kind of said that like you're not ready to fight James L. Brooks with Caleb Boatman, but do you think that you will be able to defend the Fan Zone title your first t- uh, ride out with it?
4: I hope so, but um, in the end, it is what it is. Like I said, I, I, I met my goal with doing it once. I'm happy to have done it twice now. Um, if somebody comes in that, you know, is really good and can make it happen, that they, they deserve it. I, I'm not going to say I am the greatest debater of all time because I'm not. It's clear. Every fight I've had uh, has, has been a close one. So, yeah. Um, no, I'm excited though. We'll see what happens. A lot of new people coming. The next person I'm going to face is a debut person. So um, that's true. It'll be interesting, so,
0: yeah, a- absolutely. If you had one last question before you chant, before I let you go, uh, is there, uh, is there one person coming into Fanzone that you've seen already play uh, that you think has the best chance of taking this from you next time that you play them in Fanzone?
4: now that becomes
0: Fanzone.
4: I mean, it, Oh, so someone who's already played in Nerdgasm? Someone who's already
0: played in Nerdgasm. Once it becomes FanZone, uh, their chances increase.
4: Honestly, probably Kirk. I think Kirk's going to crush in FanZone. Um, he had a really close match with Robert, and he's just even better at regular film stuff. So it that... Definitely nuts. And then as far as the newbies, uh, I've played Robert, my real brother, twice now. Give me Nick Tuig. He's debuting in three weeks' time when we come back with Fan Zone. So maybe he could could get up there for this one. But, yeah, Kirk is one to look out for. Um, And uh, even Robert, if he decides to come back again, he knows a lot of shit about regular movies too, guys. So uh, that would be interesting as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the defense. We will see you at the next one. Uh, we'll go to our unfortunate second place finisher, Robert Parker. Uh, you played one hell of a game. Uh, the score might not reflect it, but goddamn, uh, every single every single decision was extremely close. Uh, do you feel good about your arguments that you had today? Uh, is there anything you wish you like maybe changed the way you phrased? How do you feel?
1: There's no. I I feel good. I I fought every fight that was in front of me. And I think I did a good enough job with that. There's one that I think I should have drafted differently. Um, but you live and you learn. Hindsight's 2020. Uh I, I fought the fight that was in front of me, and I feel good about how I did it, about how I went around it. I, if I was going to lose to anybody for a second time in the same division, uh, I'm glad it's my brother. Um, and, I, you know, this is a lot of fun, guys. I think I have to retire from uh, Movie Battleground, though. I think uh, this Not is the movie I battleground. It, I have to call it Quicks no. Movie Battleground. Oh, uh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Super but, is
0: gonna be so broken up about
2: that.
1: Darn. Uh, but no, this, this is obviously a lot of fun. Uh, I am so much happier uh, losing in a match like this, even though the score was a lot further apart than I was losing last summer where the score was a lot closer, but it was a much uh, less fun experience to play. So I'm much more happy with how this one ended out. Congratulations, Tim, you earned it. It was fucking close. Uh, But what happened happened, and I'm extremely glad to have lost you again.
0: Uh, i will pose this the question to you now that we've transitioned into a world where i am certainly to go 0 and 12 uh in the world of fan zone debate uh are you looking to maybe continue into the realm of fan zone uh what are your plans now that is, the is, is that
1: movie is- battleground is
0: that
1: i can't <laughs> call back when i just made the joke two seconds ago um yeah i would do it i think like i would wanna i would t- i want to take some Significant time off, like take a couple months and wait for another two-ish title matches, and then just see where we are like towards the end of this year again. Uh, definitely, maybe, but there's a lot of new blood in the division who deserve to have their spotlight too. So I I want to take a take a back seat and see kind of the the format and how Fanzone works with different categories, and then yeah, never say never. I'm definitely willing to come back.
0: Absolutely. Well, you played a great game uh, despite the outcome, uh, but we will. Hope Maybe see you uh, in the future. Take the time. Uh, we'll go to our judges uh, today. Thank you. My lovely judges that definitely were told about this more than 48 hours ago. Uh, Caleb Boltwood, uh, thank you so much for filling in. Uh, uh, what do you think of the debate? Your thoughts before we wrap this thing
2: up? Uh, I'm just disappointed these competitors aren't angry because if they wanted to murder each other, that would give Eli Boltwood work. Uh, he has has a hotline if you want to get rid of people. I'll plug that later. Uh, well, Eli Boatman, uh, 1 800 800
4: Eli Boat,
0: (laughs) 1 800 (laughs) Boatman, uh, 1 800 Corpse. Uh, yikes. All right, well, we're gonna go over to Doug. Uh, I told you about this like
3: maybe 24 hours ago. I mean, I knew about this beforehand. Uh, I was in the chat, uh, but. Um, no, I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to see what happens, the transition between Nargasm and fanzone. I think it's gonna be a big, big difference. You're gonna have people that are feeling more comfortable to come in and actually debate because it's not just fandom stuff, it's actual movie trivia too. Well, not movie trivia, movie, uh real movie. Uh, what I, uh I can speak. I've worked seven days, guys. Yes, you hear that fandom movies are not real. <laughs>
0: And the movie's not real. Movie. Is that
1: Mark?
3: I knew it? it. right now. I know you're <laughs>
1: under there. I can, I can, uh, take it off. Wrap
0: this one up. It's all going to shit. So for everyone here, for our reigning champ Tim Bracallo, for our challenger oh. Robert Parker, that is Michaela Boatman. That was Doug Castle. I am a Caleb Coho. And for everyone here at the newly now minted Fan Zone debate, we'll see you guys real soon in three weeks specifically with another great match. 1-800-DRIVE-UNSAFE.
3: Uh,